0: I am convinced that babies are God's neatest invention. You know, Billy and Lisa, uh, the thing that's really crazy about all this, you know, as, as the senior pastor of Sierra Bible Church for 26 years, I had a lot of opportunities to dedicate babies. I am now in the process of marrying those babies that I dedicated. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, it is, it is a thrill, you know, to be able to minister to a community for more than a generation to where, you know, I stood up here, like Jesse just stood with the two of you, and now I'm standing with them as they're standing there with their husband or wife-to-be and doing another covenant, and that's pretty special. And so, you know, you hang around long enough, then Jesse can do Finley's wedding. Right, Jesse? That's right, you know. I mean, that's what makes this really great. Open your Bibles tonight to Ruth chapter 3. Um, got one more week in Ruth. We'll finish it up next Sunday night. And then in the month of uh, December, after, over the last several years, Pastor Jesse and I have done an Advent series And we're going to do the same thing this year. And there's four weeks in Advent, there's four Sundays in Advent. And we're going to be doing a tag team uh, sermon series about the hope of Christmas, the peace of Christmas, the joy of Christmas, and the love of Christmas. And we'll start that on the first Sunday of December. I'll start off with the hope, and then Jesse will do peace and joy and love. And we'll work our way through to Christmas Day. Uh, We're halfway through um, the book of Ruth, and... Let me just kind of give you uh, a little synopsis for some of you that, that have not been here for this, because Ruth is, is a delightful book, and it's, it's a story. But it is a story that not only tells the story of a woman named Ruth, it tells the story of salvation. Uh, that's why it's called, uh, the I can't say, Rescued by the Redeemer. And the first two chapters of Ruth are basically this. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, her husband and her two sons, when there was a famine in the, in the kingdom of Judah, they moved to the land of Moab, which was clear the other side of the Dead Sea and south of the Dead Sea, and they were there. Uh, Naomi's two sons both took wives who were of the land of Moab, Orpah and Ruth. And along the way, uh, Naomi's husband dies. And ten years later, both of her sons-in-law die. And in that day and age, there wasn't much of a social welfare system. And, you know, we heard a great sermon this morning from Travis Owen on caring for orphans and widows. And from Genesis to Revelation, there's a lot in the Bible about caring for orphans and widows. And in that time... Uh, orphans and widows basically were fending for themselves. And so Naomi thinks it's probably better that she goes back to her homeland and she had already received word that the rains had fallen there again the crops were coming in. And so she gets ready to leave Moab and go back and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, follow her and she finally stops them and says, hey, uh, you need to go back home. You need to go back home. Uh, And she gives them many reasons why and Orpah finally turns and goes back home, and Ruth says, no way, I'm going with you. And she makes a covenant with Naomi, her her mother-in-law. She says, where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And where they bury you, there they will bury me. And so they go back to the land of Judah. And when they get back there, in, in the Old Testament... There was a, what we, I would I call it the social welfare system of the Old Testament. It was written down in the Old Testament law that when a farmer was gleaning his fields or harvesting the olives in his orchard or the grapes in his vineyard, they were to leave some behind. They weren't to harvest clear to the edge of the field. They, they weren't to just get every single grape and olive off the tree. And that was for the poor. And the poor and the stranger could then go through the fields and they could glean for themselves. Now, this welfare system didn't harvest it and then hand it to them. It was there for them, but they had to enter the fields and they had to harvest it for themselves. And so to support Naomi and Ruth, Ruth went to the field and began to glean. And she was there, she met a man named Boaz who was the owner of the field. And God had given her great grace in the eyes of Boaz. And, uh, you know, a lot of things start happening in chapter 2. And all of a sudden, Ruth is not only this, this foreign woman widow out here gleaning in his field, all of a sudden, Boaz invites her up to the table where the harvesters are sitting down and, uh, and enjoying the harvest meal together. And being a farmer, I talked to you last week about the harvest meal. And that was some of the most special eating I ever did, you know, on the farm during our grain harvest and during the sugar beet harvest. And our wives would come out to the field so we didn't have to stop and, you know, so we could go till dark. We'd take 30 minutes off and and have dinner right there in the field. And it was a very special time. Well, Ruth gets invited to this meal And not only that, she gets to to dip her, her bread in the common dish, and we were talking about the bread and wine of that meal, which is the type of the communion service that we had last Sunday night. Well, there's another thing that was happening in the Old Testament that we're going to get into big time tonight. There was a thing in the Old Testament that if a brother, if two brothers were married to two different women, and one of the brother's wives or one of the brothers died, the remaining brother was obliged to take his brother's wife as his wife and to raise up a child in the name of his dead brother. He became a redeemer and that lady got to stay in the same family. I mean, it sounds a little odd and a little strange in the day and age in which we live. But a brother would take his brother's wife as his own, and when she bore children, the first son that was born was named after the brother so that his lineage did not die. Well, what we're going to see tonight is Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. She is, Boab is a close relative to Naomi, and Ruth is a widow who is now living with Naomi. And Boaz and Ruth meet, and Boaz is extending this incredible grace. And the story just gets better and better and better. And tonight, I know you have Bibles, and I want you to be in Ruth chapter 3, but also in your study guide tonight, you're going to find Ruth chapter 3 from the message, which is a paraphrase of the Old Testament done by Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson just has a wonderful way, and this story really needs some of our vocabulary in it. And Eugene does a great job with this. And so we're in, we're going to be in your study guide. We're going to read it through, first of all, in the study guide. And as is our custom here, when we read the Word of God, we want to stand and read it together. And so, from the message, Ruth chapter 3, one day her daughter-in-law One day, her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arrange a good home for you so you can have a happy life? And isn't Boaz, our close relative, the one with whose young women you've been working, maybe it's time to make our move? Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume... Get all dressed up and go to the threshing floor. Don't, Don't let him know you are there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. Lie at his feet to let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, if you say so, I will do it, just as you have told me. She went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. Boaz had a good time eating and drinking his fill. He felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down to signal her availability for marriage. In the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up. To his surprise, there was a woman asleep at his feet. He said, who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You are my close relative, you know, in the circle of covenant redeemers. You do have the right to marry me. He said, God bless you, my dear daughter. What a splendid expression of love. When you could have had your pick of any of the young men around, and now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are. A real prize. You're right. I am a close relative to you, but there's one even closer than I am. So stay and rest the rest of the night. In the morning, if he wants to exercise his customary rights, and responsibilities as the closest covenant redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested, as God lives, I'll do it. Now go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark and would not be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, no one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. So Boaz said, bring the shawl you are wearing and spread it out. And she spread it out and he poured it full of barley, six measures, and put it on her shoulders. Then she went back to town. When she came to her mother in law, Naomi asked, And how did things go, my dear daughter? And Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, And he gave me all this barley besides six quarts. He told me, You can't go back empty handed to your mother in law. Naomi said, Sit back and wait, my dear daughter until we find out how things will turn out, that man isn't going to fool around. Mark my words, he's going to get everything wrapped up today. And Father, once again, let us see the beauty of your plan, the wonder of your redeeming son, the Lord Jesus, in these wonderful words. What a a fun story. And Lord, there are some parts of this that just We kind of scratch our heads because we live in a very different culture. But we see here again, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy extended from Boaz to Ruth as a type and a shadow of the grace and the mercy that has been extended to us is being extended to us and will continue to be extended to us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Come. Speak to us tonight, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the last chapter that we read, Ruth had been gleaning in the fields of Boaz through both the barley and the wheat harvest. Now, after the grain has been cut and bundled into sheaves, it was then hauled from the fields to the threshing floor where it was winnowed. And so, chapter 2, we're looking at the gleaning of the wheat, the gathering it together, and chapter 3, what's happening now is all the wheat and the barley has been gleaned, it's been gathered together into sheaves, and now it needs to be harvested. The, the It was easy to harvest barley because barley is a grain that has just a little long beard on it and a stem on the bottom, and you break those two off and the barley's ready to go. But the wheat had to be broken away from the chaff and out of the head, and and. I'm going to give you a little little lesson on farming tonight, okay? Here's the threshing floor of the day. The threshing floor was a piece of ground that had been cleared that was hard. It could be stone. It could be just hard, you know, rock-hard soil. And they would take the sheaves of grain, as you can see around the edge there. They would carry that from the field to the threshing floor. And then they would start, they would unbundle the sheaves of grain and spread it out on the threshing floor and run the livestock around on the grain with what was called a threshing sledge. And this sledge would, would break up the heads of the grain, would knock the beards off the barley, would knock the, the chaff hull off of the wheat. The thing that's interesting is, Sandy and I a few years ago were at Mount Vernon, in Washington, just outside of Washington, D.C. And that was George Washington's uh, farm. And he had a threshing shed that worked much like this. It was two stories. And on the top stories, it had thick boards that had big spaces in them. And they would throw the sheaves of grain in there and bring the horses in and run them in circles around there and break up the grain in the in hull the and everything. And then guys would come in and start sweeping. And the grain would fall through the cracks in the floor. And then the guys are down below sacking the grain and bagging the harvest. And so what we got here, we've got, first of all, the grain is brought out, the threshing sledge runs over it, and then guys with a fork called a winnowing fork would walk across and they would take, you know, straw and chaff and just throw it in the air. And the wind would carry away the light lighter than the wheat straw and chaff and the grain would just fall back to the ground. And they would just keep doing this and doing this till there's no more chaff, there's no more grain, or there's no more straw left there, and then guys would come in and sweep up the grain and bag it, and then they would bring out some more grain, and then run the sl- thrusting sledge around. And you know, the thing that is so interesting is what took them all of these steps, and probably weeks upon weeks to do, we do very quickly with that machine right there. You know, back in August, part of my vacation this year was running that machine, and in the, in, the grain, in the wheat harvest on my daughter's ranch in southern Utah. And it's the same thing. It's all wind and a cylinder that breaks up the heads and then wind that blows the chaff and the straw out the back and then in the bin behind the cab, all the grain goes into there. But it's all one step. And three of us together with combines like that, going together through the field, one day did 300 acres in just one day. It's, it's come a long way, baby. But... It's basically the same method. It's wind breaking up the straw and separating the chaff from the grain. Now here's where the story starts to get really good. The old Puritan commentator, Matthew Henry, wrote of this event, Naomi had no thoughts of marrying herself for she was old and had resolved herself to a perpetual widowhood Yet she was far from the thoughts of confining her daughter-in-law to singleness. On the contrary, she is in full contrivance how to get her married. Isn't that a great line? She's conniving, she's contriving, she is thinking of a way to get Ruth married. Ruth is still a young woman. Naomi's an old lady and she's full of contrivance. Isn't that a great line? I just... I know people who are full of contrivance. And and the course that Naomi followed was extraordinary. And it looks to us as a little bit suspicious. And if there was anything improper in it, you know, we probably need to blame Naomi because she's putting her daughter-in-law up to it all. Okay, and so here we go. At Naomi's instruction, Ruth Bays puts on some perfume and her best dress. And then she tells Ruth, go to the threshing floor, hide yourself until Boaz goes to bed. And after he's in bed, go to him, uncover his feet and lay down and cover yourself back up with a blanket. And then her next command was, and when he discovers you're there, then you do what he tells you to do. This is an incredible thing. I mean, she's setting her up for this, but then now Ruth. When he discovers you there, you then do what he tells you to do. And Ruth's reply is, everything you say I'm going to do. And uh, you think there was some trust between these two? This is incredible. And so Ruth does what Naomi says. And uh, I love verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. They've worked hard all day long. They've had a meal of good food and good drink and uh, got a big day ahead of them tomorrow. And so he heads off near one of the piles of grain and lays down for a good night's sleep. And then all of a sudden, there's a woman slipping under his blanket. (laughs) Isn't it, this this is great. I love this story. You know, he's asleep and she's throwing back the blanket and she's slipping under it and she's covering it up. And then, verse 8 is an understatement. It says, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over. Behold, a woman lay at his feet. <laughs> that That is understatement, my friends. You know, for, for a dozen years, I used to travel the country every, every year for three weeks uh, with a vintage car race called the Great American Race. And I campaigned... Uh, a 1941 Cadillac convertible for focus on the family. And the race lasted two weeks long. It was always between 3,500 and 4,000 miles long. And uh, I would be gone from the, from home for three weeks. And so for three weeks, I'm sleeping in a hotel room by myself, mind you. And uh, But the days were long. We put in a lot of miles every day. And at the end of the race, you were just wiped out physically and mentally. Because... It was a it was a rally that a lot of calculations had to be done, and we covered a lot of ground in, in a given day. I came home from the great race one year. I'm tired. We go to bed. I'm home in my own bed, and I wake up in the middle of the night, and I realize someone is in my bed with me. Well, what didn't come straight to my mind was that I was home. And I am going... Dread just filled me. And I am going, What have I done? And then all of a sudden it hit me. The person in bed beside me was Sandy. It was my wife. It was okay. But for three weeks she hadn't been. And all of a sudden, like I said, I'm sweating bullets and dread is, and I kind of feel like what Boaz might have felt here. All of a sudden there's a woman in his bed and who in the heck is this? And so he asked her, Who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Now listen to this. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now we may not pick from that. That's why I wanted to read from um, Eugene Peterson tonight. Because it kind of comes across in there. Um, In the middle of the night, the man suddenly startled, sat up, and to his surprise, a woman was asleep at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she said, I am Ruth, your maiden. Take me under your protecting wing. You are my close relative. You know in the circle of covenant redeemers, and you do have the right to marry me. We may not have gleaned all of that from this verse, but that's exactly what's being said here. You have the right to marry me. Now, the the text lets us know Boaz was flattered. He was flattered by this, and he tells her, yes, I am a redeemer. You got it right. But there is another out there who's a closer relative than me. And so the only right thing to do is offer you up to him before I just say I can take you. And he said, so I will redeem you If he will not, but he's going to get the chance. And that's chapter 4 next week. I wouldn't miss chapter 4. It it gets really good in there. He then sends her home before daylight. He sends her with six scoops of barley in her shawl. She returns to Naomi, who of course wants to hear every detail. This this lady who was contriving. (laughs) She wants to hear all the details. And Naomi, at this point, she's done everything she could do. It's now time to wait for the result. But listen here, we've got to understand what's going on as Ruth is waiting. If the kinsman redeemer who is first in line decides to redeem Ruth, she'll then be given to a man that she has never seen or known. See, there's no guarantee here that she's going to get Boaz at this point. They probably weren't expecting that there was somebody else in line. And this other guy is going to get a chance at Ruth before Boaz feels the freedom to move forward. So this going back home to wait has a whole bunch of levels to it that I think we need to appreciate. All she can do now is wait. Chapter 3 is pretty straightforward. Pretty simple story. I think all of us can understand what's happening here. But before we close out for tonight, I want to show you something that's happening here under the surface. All Ruth can do now is wait. And I want to ask you, isn't that sometimes the hardest part of walking with God? when he calls us to wait. One thing I believe that the Bible is very clear about is that God always answers prayer. Hang in here with me for a little bit. God always answers prayer. Yes. No. Not yet. He always answers it though. And The problem is, is we're like a little kid. You know, what's the word they hate? No. And if my six-year-old son would have come to me and asked for the keys to the car, he's going to get a no, but it's not a no that isn't an, an indefinite no. It's a wait no, isn't it? There will be a day when he turns 16 years of age and he's been properly trained that he can have the keys to the car. And God is the same way. God says yes. God says no. God says wait. Not yet. And that's probably the one we have the most problem with. In fact, I believe there are times in all of our lives as we've been in the waiting process that God hasn't moved quickly enough that we've moved for him. And sometimes the choice that we made while we were waiting wasn't the best and wisest choice that could have been made along the way. But God knows. Just as a mother and father understand that there are certain places as their children are maturing that we say no at five that we can say yes at ten. We say no at ten that we can say yes at twelve. We say no at twelve that we can say yes at sixteen. And God according to the word, loves us more than any parent could ever love us. He's the same way. And the answers to our prayer come, yes, no, and wait. Not yet. In fact, the word wait is used 83 times in the Bible. And the majority of it is not waiting in some dread-filled way, but it's waiting with expectancy. You know, we've dedicated a little baby tonight. And we know that from the time of conception there's a waiting period before we get to hold the baby, right? About nine months. <laughs> and and there that's one we accept. You know, I've done I've done, I don't know, hundred and thirty, hundred and forty weddings in the last forty years. And it's really neat to do the premarital counseling with a couple as they're getting ready to to get married, and there's this expectancy. You know, the waiting for that day in June or whenever it is. In fact, today, uh, J.P. and Danielle Inverson came to me, and they said, today's our 12th anniversary. 12 years ago, I married him on a golf course out in, the, out in the Carson Valley. 12 years ago. And then on Thursday this week, Ryan Bente, who's one of our deacons, Ryan and Katie celebrate their 15th anniversary. And I did their wedding uh, at the lake in Incline Village. They've had children since, but the the anticipation, the expectation, and when God is telling us to wait, it's not meant to be a wait with well, why don't you just hurry up? Why don't you do it according to my timetable? And you know, the Bible shows us in a lot of places where people tried to help God out. I remember a guy named Abraham and his wife Sarah. God promised them a son. And you know, Abraham just gets older. Sarah just gets older. And we just finished studying this in the book of Galatians on Sunday night. And you know, every time they look at one another, they go, yeah, a fat chance. And then one day, helping God out, along comes Sarah and she brings her maid Hagar and she says, Abraham, you're never gonna get a son out of me Sleep with my maid. Sleep with my maid. And we'll get a son out of her. That wasn't God's plan. And as a result, you're now paying almost $4 a gallon for a gallon of gas. You had no idea that there's a theological underpinning to this, did you? Because the Arab and the Persian nations have come out of Ishmael's lineage, who came out of Hagar... Not the woman of promise. And guess where most of the world's oil is? Under their sand. Abraham thought he'd help God out. And there's a whole bunch of examples like that. And in my life, I I confess to you tonight, there have been times I've tried to help God out. And things just aren't peeling off and happening fast enough for me, so let me help you i learned a long time ago as a little boy i remember going into the chicken house one day on the farm and it just so happened that there was a chick coming out of a shell and uh boy he was struggling so i decided to help him out so i peeled the shell away and he rolled over and died you know because god programmed into the physiology of that chick the struggle of getting out of the egg that would develop its its cardiovascular system while he's fighting. And, you know, he would fight and then he would rest a little bit and then he'd fight. Well, there was a waiting time there too and I I took it all away. And it cost him his life. There are times God is going to answer your prayer. I've had prayers answered. It's almost before before the words are out of my mouth and God has answered. And there's other times he's made it definitely... And you know what? Sometimes I have as hard a time of the no as a little child does because I want what I want. One of my favorite country western songs is I Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. Have you ever heard that song? You know a guy's fallen in love with this girl in high school and he can't figure out why the relationship goes south. He comes back 20 years later to his class reunion and he goes, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and there's sometimes... In the, in the midst of it all, we don't understand the wisdom of the no. But the closer we get to God, we, we learn to understand that there's wisdom and he always does answer prayer. Yes, no, or is, Ruth is at this place. Wait. It even happened to the disciples. Acts chapter one, and while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do what? What did he say? Wait. Wait for what the Father has promised, which he said you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You know, the disciples have just finished walking with Jesus for three years. They had all sorts of expectation about what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. And then, at the end of it, instead of him becoming king, as they thought he would become king, they get to watch him crucified and buried. Then he comes out of the grave, and he spends the next 40 days with them. And now, here at the end, when he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven, and they say, are you at this time going to restore the nation to Israel? He says, that's not for you to know right now. But you return to Jerusalem, and you wait... And you wait for what the Father has promised. So here they are waiting again. And the question is, how long do we have to wait? And Jesus says, until you receive the promise. Well, what will it look like? Oh, you'll know. You'll know. And their waiting was rewarded by God's promise of sending the Holy Spirit on the day Pentecost when we wait on God he comes through and he shows us that it was worth the wait it was worth the wait and we will see that for Ruth as well one other picture of redemption is being painted here in Ruth chapter 2 verse 12 Boaz is talking to Ruth She's saying, why are you treating me so kindly? And he said, I've heard the rumor about your kindness to your mother-in-law. And he says, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you, the Lord of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This we could take apart and preach on for a couple couple evenings. Because Ruth, you know, there, there's probably nothing, nothing here that was on purpose or deliberate that she came to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel. But as she committed herself to Naomi, that's exactly where she placed herself, was under the wings and the watch care of the God of Israel. And that's what he says. You've taken care of your mother. God's honored you. You are now under his wings. Now, in this chapter, in verse 9, Ruth repeats back to Boaz, I am Ruth, your servant, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings over your servant. Now Ruth, when she observed her mother-in-law's orders, she went and laid down herself, not by Boaz's side, but at his feet, in her clothes, stayed awake, and waited for an opportunity to tell of her errand. I've been looking at a lot of artwork about Ruth and Boaz, and uh, there are several pieces of art that have Ruth under the covers in the nude at his side. It's almost like she's gone to seduce him, and that's not what the text says. She didn't go there and seduce Boaz. Boaz. She did not lay at his side. She laid at his feet, fully clothed. And she stayed there and she stayed awake and she waited for Boaz to make the next move. And when he awoke in the night and perceived that there was somebody at his feet and inquired who it was, Ruth told him her name and then said, Would you please spread your wings over me as a redeemer? Jesus, shortly, as he was coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together. How? As a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. Christ's desire is to gather his children together under the safety and the refuge of his wings. Six times the psalmist exhorts us to find refuge. Where? Under the wings of the Lord. Malachi tells us that there is healing for those who are under the shadow of his wings. And you and I, like Ruth, Ruth was a poor, widowed foreigner. She was lost and she was oppressed. She needed a redeemer. And so do you. And so do I. Because we were all in the same boat with Ruth. A lost foreigner in need of a redeemer. And Isaiah said, My eyes look to the heights. Lord, I am oppressed. Be my security. And this is exactly what Boaz is becoming to Ruth in this chapter. Ruth has no social standing whatsoever as a woman, as a widow, as a foreigner. And she's about to be gathered under the wings of a kinsman redeemer who's going to redeem her and marry her and love her. And it's a picture of Christ' love for you and me. You see, it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is our kinsman. We're going to be talking about this next week. He took on our flesh and blood. He is our kinsman, he walked a mile in our shoes. He, he, he had human DNA. Spiritual, emotional, and physical. But he's also our redeemer who has shed his blood that he might rescue us and then bring us through that rescue under his wings. Kinsman, yes. Redeemer, yes. Boaz was all of that to Ruth. Jesus is all of that to us. And to those who will come and call upon him, he will bring under his wings, under his protection, into his salvation, and into his family. He is our kinsman redeemer. He has the ability to save us to the uttermost. Let's pray. Father in heaven, in my weeks of studying this book, it just becomes more and more beautiful. Your grace and your mercy shine out of it. Every time Ruth talks about having found favor in the eyes of Boaz, she's talking about having found grace. Unmerited favor. She deserved nothing she got from Boaz. From every grain of wheat to being called to his table. And now as she lays at his feet and calls for him to be her redeemer, he's flattered. And yet he's going to walk it out in the right manner. There's someone else that stands before him and he's going to make sure that he's free to take Ruth as his own. And again, in these words, we see the gospel again and again and again. Lord, you have made yourself our kinsman-redeemer. You have clothed yourself with our flesh and blood. And then you have laid down your sinless life to redeem us and wrap your wings around us. Oh dear God, from this wonderful, beautiful Old Testament story, strengthen and renew our faith as you continue your process of redemption in all of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, friends. You're welcome to stand with us. We're going to sing a few songs as we close out and an opportunity for you to respond. And... uh... Let's just join in song together.